Welcome everybody to the Chosen Life Podcast. I'm your host, the Chosen Lawyer. Back by popular demand. You've asked for him, you've got him. It's funny, you know, because every week I think of who's the new exciting guest that's going to come on board and making the agenda and everything else. And the viewership is very, very clear. If you're not a professional wrestler, the person <laughs> they most want to meet is our guest today. Two-time guest, number one hero, the financial money guru himself, Mr. Zachary Rain. Zach, welcome back to The Chosen Life. Thank you. Thank you. I'm honored to be here again. So how's life been with you since The Chosen Life, the, the first episode that you appeared? You were on episode number two. Mm-hmm. We were in our infancy. We were just growing. And now you come and here we are, my friend. We are back in business and we are better than ever. And uh, what's been up with you? How's life been for you? No, it's exciting. We're in person. Life, life's been good, you know? Same stuff every day. Running a business. Working the grind. Yeah, and clients making their millions? Oh, they have to be making their millions. Well, right now with the way the markets are, <laughs> not everybody's making millions, but we're, uh, we're working on it to make sure. Depen- depends what they're into, right? Oh, of course, yes. So we did our first episode virtually, mm-hmm. and now we're in person. Welcome to the studio. We've been uh, behind the scenes prepping everything. You got to see how studio life is and how the production works. Yes. And um, it's interesting, you know, because uh, in addition to hosting the show, what I'm also doing, I'm writing, directing, etc., and producing. And I'm producing another sister show as well, uh, David and David on Real Estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's part of the Corman's uh, YouTube channel. And on that note, very, very important to hit that subscription button, hit the notification bell to learn of all new episodes of both podcasts. And when people are watching like an episode today, you've been asking for Zach. We have given him to you. He is here. <laughs> so please, you comment how you like the show, particular topics, questions you have for Zach. We'll pass it along. So we love the interaction, right? So oh, like, because you're also king of social media, like you're all over there on LinkedIn, <laughs> Instagram. They're notifying me every five minutes. Zach's got a new tip. Zach's got things going on. So I'd heavily tell the guests you're enjoying him. You got him back. The viewership is all excited for you, Zach. So definitely, you know, the interaction would be great. So they'll have your handle as well. Mm-hmm. And we can all keep the conversation going even after the episode. No, I appreciate that. And the interaction, like everybody listening, no matter where you are, please comment. It's it's what drives us and it, it's what gives us ideas to talk about, right? Like we're, we're value-centric people. We're here to help you, give you tidbits, things that you can work towards. So if you have a tidbit or something that you want to comment, you know, something you want to see, something that you enjoyed seeing, something you want to see more about, please, please, please comment. I noticed that when I'm giving webinars, seminars, they're birthed from topics that people raise. Mm-hmm. So people have been emailing me, real life situations come up and when I'm giving these uh, type of uh, presentations and I know you give a lot of them as well mm-hmm. people love stories when I was teaching with Aria and I was teaching a real property law course for so for realtors out there they have to go to college they have to pass to become realtors mm-hmm. I was teaching them law and it's amazing engaging the students what did they most want to hear real life situations what went wrong yeah. how did they get and that's the best stories right yes the stuff that went along great it's not it really is. a great story but it's how <laughs> how badly did it blow up and how we dealt with it yeah so that's part of today you know we're going to talk about the chosen life and how people can set themselves up to have the chosen life mm-hmm. i know certainly that's you're a young professional i'm a semi-young professional and we're all very young I'm, I'll do what I can, you know, but uh, I'm young in dog years for sure. But uh, <laughs> that being said, you know, no matter where you are, what stage, you're always striving for that chosen life. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that no matter how old, what value, what profession people are in, the trend is very similar in this show week after week after week. People have reached what goals and top that people cannot not even imagine, 
But those professionals, for them, that's just part of their journey. Mm -hmm. They're still striving for their chosen life. They don't consider it that they are living the chosen life because at the point that they realize they've lived it, they're there, they're done. Mm -hmm. uh, in a previous episode, we had Bruce from Perfect Sports. And you know, when I think about it, I'd have to work like 10 lifetimes to get to Bruce's level. Mm -hmm. And here Bruce is, he's not satisfied. He's reached and he's just striving to the next one and the next one and the next one. Well, that's the thing about driven people, right? Like the, there's always a goal. There's something you want to achieve. You achieve it. And then that always produces something else, right? Like there's, there's always a next tick that you want to achieve. And so some people are really never satisfied. Some people, they get satisfied on a, on a per goal basis kind of type of thing, right? Where they, they want to, you know, start a new brand. They want to start a podcast. They want to, you know, buy a car, buy a car, whatever it is, any of these things. Right. Mm -hmm. And then once they get that, they're just constantly looking for something else because it's, it's what drives them. Right. So that's going to take us into topic number one. We always got our segues and uh, it's funny, you know, we were in the cars and uh, driving over and we were negotiating the last bit of the topics. <laughs> it's funny how that kind of works. You know, sometimes I haven't planned weeks in advance, sometimes days in advance, but you know, especially with what's going on in the world, sometimes you want to know what's current, what people are asking. Mm -hmm. And I love when I'm planning my topics, I love to know what is the person's wheelhouse? What are they interested in? What are they good at? And I want to be able to share their stories, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when we're going to topic number one, this is a biggie. This is the kind of topic you would see, for example, on David and David on real estate, because it is obviously real estate centric. I'm a real estate lawyer, so I'm dealing with real estate all the time. People mm -hmm. buying and selling, refinancing, dreaming, et cetera. They come to me as a lawyer. Mm -hmm. How do you go about planning this? So I'm coming to you now as the financial guru and saying the biggie topic to start off is cottages. People yes. dream big. Mm -hmm. And when you're thinking of the chosen life, you think to yourself, I know I got it made when I got a cottage, when I got that second home and I can drive up north or drive west, there's a second residence, I'm on the water and I got a maid, this is gonna get me Instagram photos like crazy, I'm gonna look so good and people are gonna be so impressed with me. So this would be stupid not to do this. Yeah. So no matter where people are at, age-wise, career-wise, life-wise, kids, no kids, it's a no-brainer, chosen life, automatically the dream just go get a cottage right mm -hmm. so on topic number one zach is it possible for everybody to have a cottage you know is that a good investment and should everybody be striving now and paying whatever they got to do and get there right now well it, it depends what you're doing with the cottage where you're looking and obviously your personal situation right like not everybody can afford a second property and so i have i have clients i deal a lot with real estate investors as well so it's just funny that we all work in the same area um, but I have clients, a lot of them have cottages or some type of waterfront property, right? Mm -hmm. And they each use it for different purposes and, and depending on your income, right? Cause it's all income based and what you can qualify for when you're, you know, purchasing a property, um, depending what you can do, you buy a, a different type of cottage, a different type of waterfront, whatever it is. Um, but it is possible. A lot of people can do it. Um, are they good investments? I have one client who just bought, uh, let's say a year and a half ago, a cottage in Muskoka, a beautiful, big, big cottage. You know, it's like, it's like the one you see on the postcard, right? Mm -hmm. They have the Muskoka chair on the beautiful dock with the little fire pit there. Everybody's got their feet, you know, up. Um, and that's the image. That's well, that's exactly right. Right. Yeah. And that's what they were going for. And so they go up every now and again, it's not like they use it regularly because they're professionals, very, very busy people too. And when they're not there, they Airbnb it. And they charge they can charge i think they're charging a thousand dollars a night in prime time this is um, in canadian dollars but if it was in the u.s it could be equivalent easily oh, in u.s dollars as well oh of course depending can, on where your location and well it could be even more right, right. um 
and so they charge they're charging a thousand i i know for a fact that they're they're raking it in right now mm -hmm. um you know the thing is with them and it's the only you know there's risks with any type of investment especially with property you know especially when you get a bunch of people up at the cottage they get drunk and things like that so there's always some types of some types minimal damage that couldn't come across but when you're making thousand dollars a night especially in the summertime and then in the winter when um it's winter break and everything we're talking about crazy amounts of money here more than enough to carry the cost of the mortgage and then it's just like a free cottage for them they go out there and they stay there whenever they want and that, that's a case where they're renting it out and they're working out a of budget course. i assume they're having a, a plan a, a business plan where they're saying to themselves okay here's how much it cost me to run it every single month mm -hmm. and here's how much it's coming in and it's a no-brainer mm -hmm. i know i've had clients that you know purchase for example waterfront condominium units mm -hmm. so they're saying i'm gonna make my life easy here so all i gotta do is pay my condo fees mm -hmm. i gotta pay property tax pay the mortgage and it, it's it's turnkey otherwise my life is easy i don't mm -hmm. have to put any money in every single month otherwise mm -hmm. but it's amazing because the amount of money it costs to run something like that yes and they're already carrying their first residence, which they presumably, if you're at the point where you're getting a nice waterfront condo, for example, you probably have a pretty decent sized house in a decent area, mm -hmm. and you're probably paying for a decent sized mortgage. So now you're carrying two residences, and mm -hmm. you're paying down two mortgages with zero money coming in. Mm -hmm. And I think to myself, okay, well, what happens if life changes? What if all of a sudden yes. your car goes? What happens if somebody gets sick, blah, blah, blah. There's so many things that can come up in life variably and then what are you going to do you got to carry two homes mm -hmm. and then i tell the same people i'm like okay imagine now this condominium unit was not a condominium unit it's an actual house on the water do you know how many things could go wrong because a lot of them are, are older properties not brand new cottages right so it could be built in the 1950s we got retaining walls in the water we have erosion we have roofs caving in septic we, systems too infestation yes. wildlife who knows? All those things cost money mm -hmm. and can cost a lot of money. Even if it was your primary residence, even if you only had one home and it was that cottage property, to run a cottage out on the water versus having a house in the city, would you say from a marketing, from a marketing uh, they, they make it seem like it's so uh, fantastic, but in reality, from a financial point of view, it could be a money pit, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> tons of times. For more often than not, it's a money pit. That's why when you do these types of things, you buy a second property, whether it's a cottage, you know, on a waterfront, um, or it's a condo unit or waterfront property, you have to you have to take boxes, right? Mm -hmm. So whenever we do anything like this with a client, or well, at least when I do it, uh, there's always a plan involved, right? Um, you know, we need to have these, these things. These, these are all priorities, right? You have an emergency fund, obviously, for when the car breaks down or whatever it is, right? Uh, we need to make sure that, you know, especially the mortgage that we're taking on, if there was just a crazy rise in interest rates, which, you know, we're going to see over the next little bit, um, can we still afford it? You know, what's our job security like? Uh, are we business owners? Are we kind of just, you know, figuring it out month to month? Or um, do we know that we're, there's going to be money coming in? You know, have we maximized all of our other types of investments and things like that? And, you know, once we tick those, tick those boxes off, then we can make our way down to, to that goal and say, okay, so, you know, we're in a position where we can take on these things. And, you know, like everything you said, if all of these costs do come to fruition, are we still comfortable? You know, is the property making enough money at the point where for all of these things to happen, you know, can we cover our expenses and still make sure that we're making enough money, right? So it's there's a huge plan involved and most banks, any lender is going to want to know these things, right? And you know that. Right. Whenever you come in, you want to purchase something, you want to ask for a huge amount of money, especially these days for a cottage. They want to make sure that their investment is sound too because until you pay it off completely, they're they invested too.
And that's one of the things we actually talked about when we were brainstorming on this topic mm -hmm. is that topic of mortgages. And people just take it for granted. I bought a cottage for a million five. Yeah. And you know what? It's only going up because real estate can only go up. There's no way it's going to go down. I'm the smartest person in the world for buying this. Yeah. Of course, a bank's going to lend me money. But one of the first things the bank will ask you is, are you going to live there or are you going to rent it out? Yeah. And once it becomes a rental, Zach, does that change the mortgage uh, game? Oh, <laughs> and how? It, cha it changes it so much. So, so. You, you had a real life example of somebody that was going through it. I've seen it as well. Yeah. For uh, and we won't get into too much. We're, we're not mortgage brokers here, but as far as from a mortgage standpoint, if it becomes all of a sudden a a commercial property, so all of a sudden now it's bought for the purpose of business income, mm -hmm. the interest rate's going to change. Oh, that's for sure. Because all of a sudden it becomes riskier because you could have a bunch of people in there, and the bank doesn't want to assume a property that just has people in there because it's not so easy to go to flip. You got to get people out, etc., with tenants. Mm -hmm. But other than that, there are there's a lot more paperwork, right, and a lot more risk. So it's just a more expensive process, and it's not so easy to get that mortgage. No. as compared to when you're using it right yeah it's, it, and exactly and it's the standpoint of they're looking for they're looking at at you know what is going to what is going to provide the capacity to lend right so for the average person you go out and you look to buy a house right you, they look at your income they look at what you're producing yourself in your job right um, but the second you look into a commercial property it's now okay not just the fact that you can guarantee the mortgage yourself right but are you going to be making any money in this property? How are you going to make money? What are your expenses? And that's like what we said before. They have to see a plan and they have to see, you know, numbers to paper, real projections, realistic projections um, that they can use to make sure that they, you know, they have the lending capacity to give it to you and you have the capacity to pay for it. And, and then when you start getting into tenant issues, boy, you know, you could have, uh, that means, oh boy, in Hebrew, for those of you that don't know, or Yiddish actually. Yeah. But if we're going to start getting into the whole tenant issues, there's short-term tenants and there's long-term tenants. So Airbnb, everybody thinks, oh, Airbnb is so sexy. I want to own an Airbnb. I'm just going to make a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. They don't get that. There's a lot of planning that goes involved in that. Marketing. It's a business. One mm -hmm. property as an Airbnb, right? Mm -hmm. It's it, You got to keep the thing clean. You got to keep it going. The flow of communication with with your uh, with your clients, the uh, the renters. Yes. And, you know, you've heard horror stories as far as Airbnbs of people partying and something happens to somebody. You have to think of all these type of things. I'm not trying to dissuade somebody from being a landlord. And by all means, if you do it right... Airbnb can be a fantastic money-making venture, but th does the area, local area, allow for it zoning-wise, or is it illegal to do an Airbnb? There's just so many considerations, so they have to have that plan, and they need to think. In my opinion, they got to think about these things and have a concrete plan before just buying it outright and saying, you know what, I'll get the mortgage after. I'm sure Airbnb it. Airbnb it. <laughs> I always stumble on that one. It's a fast one. It is a fast one. But then also, you know, long-term tenants, and that's yes. another. It's another part. You know, and sometimes it's very good. You can have somebody who's very, very handy and they'll keep an eye. And so all of a sudden you got this nice waterfront property. Somebody's managing it for you. They're paying you the rent and mm -hmm. they're paying your mortgage and you're like laughing all the way to the bank. But on the other hand, you know, I've heard of tenant issues where they're calling you every five minutes. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. You're the landlord. Yes. You got to fix. You got to fix. So people who are not ready to be landlords, uh, this may not be your way to go. I've had a lot of offers uh, to come in and do webinars and seminars on landlord tenant issues. Mm -hmm. I, I don't go to the tribunal. I don't deal with getting tenants out. It's a very niche item, yeah. but I deal with residential leases all the time as a real estate lawyer. Mm -hmm. It's not so cut and dry. So you got to have a stomach and you got to have a big backbone to be able to go in, to be ready to be a landlord, in my opinion. No, no, you're 100% right. So like I said, a lot of my clients are real estate investors and you, when you talk to them, they're a specific type of person, right? Mm -hmm. um, a, they have to have that business owner mindset because you're on call 24 seven, 
whenever they want, right? Uh, not to mention because it is your property, right? There's a f flood, you know, sorry, but your tenant, especially in an Airbnb, they're not there tomorrow. They really don't care, right? Yep. So you have to make sure that you're there on time all the time. And I have, I have lots of clients who say, you know, forget about it. I'll never Airbnb because there's no, there's no commitment. There's no motivation for a tenant then to make sure that the property is clean. It is nice. Um, and, and you're not causing problems while you're there. Right. So there's, like you said, there's, there's pros and cons for everything. Mm -hmm. Um, but it all depends on the type of person that you are too. I tell uh, a, a person that no matter what professional they are, they could have a lot of degrees, which we'll talk about that later on in this episode. Mm -hmm. um, they can have a lot of uh, experience in many arenas, but when they're thinking about a purchase of a particular something niche, like a cottage, mm -hmm. I tell them, you know, what would be a really good idea. Go talk to other cottage owners. Yes. Go, especially if you have a particular area in mind, go see people there, mm -hmm. ask friends through friends, figure it out because they'll tell you the real stories. You know, you go into certain areas with certain types of lakes and guess what? Erosion is, is a real thing mm -hmm. and floodings. And you have to know this kind of stuff and know mm -hmm. if you're susceptible because that affects insurance and that can affect resale. But all you're seeing is the beautiful chosen life. And you're like, that's for me. This thing's on beautiful water. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can't go into that water. It's too choppy. I can't do that. Oh boy, I don't get internet reception in this area. Oh no, I, I need my internet reception. I was going to move up here full yeah. time at some point. How am I going to run a business with no internet? Mm -hmm. I, you know, there really are areas that have very slow internet still and they're not upgraded yes. yet. And that's a real, real thing. And they're saying, don't worry, we have the game plan by 2030, by 2040, it's happening. Mm -hmm. Well, we don't all have till 2030, yeah, 2040. Exactly. So I, I, I brought this topic up because I get asked a lot as a real estate lawyer and just as a person, you know, I, I see that the, the market is so hot. There's no inventory out there. If I'm able to land one, I should totally jump in, right? And so I, I, I brought you on today so to discuss that it may not be so simple. There are a yeah. lot of considerations that go into it beyond just sitting on the dock and mm -hmm. living the chosen life because it ain't that simple. The money's yeah. got to come from somewhere. I can't tell you in life, even on one residence, how people have no slush fund. Mm -hmm. People, if something happens to their home, they're going into lines of credits or they're going to have to take out lines of credits. There's mm -hmm. not a slush fund. I know you, I talk with you all the time as a financial advisor. You're a big proponent of having money ready for a rainy day. Yes, you have to. There's, there's, there are so many things in life that can happen, whether it's your car, whether it's a flood, whether it's a move, a renovation here, anything, right? An appliance breaking. There's, there's so many things you could lose your job, especially we've seen over the last two years, right? You have to have money available and you don't want to take yourself into debt just to have that money available. So on the final note on the cottage, because we're already getting people shaking their boots, maybe rethinking this whole plan, <laughs> even if you're able to afford to close it mm -hmm. and you're able to afford to run the thing. Mm -hmm. You deal all the time with estate planning because that's part of financial plans, oh, of life course. insurance and all this. Person's got that second residence as a cottage. They pass away. Oh boy. The kids are sitting there. Oh boy, it's cottage time. Yeah. It's not so simple because there is our good friends, the government, and they have tax ramifications, correct? So I had a, this is a good story. So I have, I have a friend, I, I, come in, I came into the business about three years ago, right? Okay. And there was an advisor that I was speaking to uh, in the business much longer than me, right? Uh, he came into our office, which is just, you know, it's, it's right um, where Vaughn becomes Toronto. Yeah. Um, and we were having a great conversation. And, the, and so I asked the guy, you know, like the, the guy's made a good business for himself. So I said, you know, how did you do it, right? I'm a young guy, I wanna learn, how did you do it? He goes, you, you'd be surprised. He goes, you know what I do? I walk down all of the main cottage roads and I go door knocking and I say, you know, and I do it on the weekend when everybody's at the cottage in the summer, I say, hi, so-and-so, my name is so-and-so. Um, 
is this a cottage? Is this a second property for your family? Yes, it is. Okay, well, I am an estate planner. I'm a financial planner. Um, are you aware of the tax ramifications of holding this property and eventually passing it on to the next generation? And every person says, what the hell are you talking about? Really? Like, yeah, they're like, they have no clue. They're just like, I just thought my, my mom or my dad or both of them would just, they leave it to me in their will and then it's mine, right? And he looks at them and he goes, well, when your mom or dad built this property or your grandparents built this property for, I don't know, 10 grand, 50 years ago, uh, now you have a beautiful waterfront property in the middle of Simcoe or Muskoka or whatever it is. Um, what did the one beside you just go for? Oh, right. That's it. You know, John and Carol down the street, they just sold it for uh, $2.5 million, right? Okay. So you're aware that you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of tax liability when this thing comes to you and you could just see their eyes just the go, horror it is just it's horrible the pit in their stomach and they're yeah. like and they all look at you and they go um so, so how can we fix this and that's always the question right because nobody you grew up at a cottage your family at a cottage when you're a cottage person you are i grew up that way you're a cottage person for life right that's just the way absolutely. it is absolutely and uh and from that point moving forward then then there's planning that gets involved and it's a good thing because there's a lot of smart tax planners lawyers people like me financial advisors um we have lots of tools in our belt so there are ways it's never you know it's never too late really um but it's definitely something you want to get ahead of so if we're going to sum up cottages at the end of the day, I think people, I remember, so I have a mentor that I go to, especially when it comes to real estate. He's a pretty well-known real estate owner in the city. Um, his nickname around town is the landlord. <laughs> That's how well this person is known. Mm -hmm. And I asked the landlord, I said, at the end of the day, what do you think of cottage properties? I mean, uh, you're aware you've been around cottages your whole life pretty much. And mm -hmm. what, what's your take on it? He goes, at the end of the day, it's one thing if you're running it as a business, as a hotel, fine. If you're doing it for yourself, don't, don't even think for a second, appreciation, whatever, it's a money pit. Yes. It's a labor of love. You're gonna be renovating it nonstop. You're gonna be pouring money in nonstop. This is for enjoyment. Don't think of it as an investment when it's for your own use at the end of the mm -hmm. day. It doesn't work like that. So I, I think at the end of the day, if you can afford it, the, the luxury, like you wanna go buy a Bugatti and you don't care that in three years the thing depreciated by 50%, by all means, knock yourself out. <laughs> From a cottage end of it, you can be thinking, okay, yeah, in, in 10 years, this thing's gonna double in price, but people forget that carrying cost, and the carrying cost includes the upkeep and the upkeep and the of upkeep. Course. So if it's a labor of love for you and you're okay with pouring out your money, by all means, knock yourself out, enjoy it. Yes, exactly, and when you're investing in real estate, it's appreciation isn't the first thing. It's not the top of mind, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't want to deter too many people here from getting no, a cottage no, because- absolutely. If you can't afford it, and there is a strong if there, yes. there is very few feelings where you're sitting on a dock looking out on the water and the sun setting and you put your feet up in the Muskoka chair and everything. That feeling is, it is, it's unlike anything else. It's not even like, you know, you go on vacation. It's just, it's not the same. Yeah. Um, so it's something to work towards. It's something that, you know, a lot of people are working towards my clients. Um, we're, we're all working towards these things. But like you said, yes, you have to be in a position to, you know, to be able to afford it at least. That sexy feeling of being able to roll down your yoga mat on the dock <laughs> and being able to be on, on the water yes. to go in the canoe. It's, it is, it's, you get to have, it, for people who do cottage and they go every weekend and, you know, they're hardcore into it, four season, they are living a vacation every single every weekend. weekend. Yeah. And they're re-energized, they're loving their life, it's inspiring them to do bigger things because they get that time away. It's therapeutic. Yeah, so by all means, find the balance, but at the end of the day, 
get the financial plan in yes. order. Yes. So today we it's gonna be very interesting. We've gone into a whole array of topics. We're got a diverse bag going, okay. and you're not gonna see where we're going from one case <laughs> to another. So we're gonna jump from cottages into professional wrestling and professional sports. Naturally. People ask me all the time and they say to me, is this a sports podcast? Is this a wrestling podcast? What's going on? Because you talk about wrestling and sports all the time. And I tell them, no, but if you think of the chosen life at the end of the day, a lot of people love watching sports, mm -hmm. playing sports, living sports, but it's also a metaphor for life overall. Yes. So the topic that I'm bringing up today is when you have the veterans, people that retire from sports, mm -hmm. Uh, or it could be near out the door and they hold on for that one last catch, you know um, The reason it's come up recently in wrestling. We have WrestleMania coming up big event You know, it's now a two-day event it used to be a one-day event. Yeah. So we all got it circled on our calendars We're all very very excited, but I was mortified to read that Vince McMahon at 76 years old. I believe uh, the the WWE president had honcho CEO. They keep asking when is he gonna retire? He's not going to retire. No yeah. way. Yeah. The man still, we were talking about the tri the uh, the uh, episode with Bruce uh, back in episode number uh, 11. And uh, we were going through as far as people ever retiring. You know, if you love something, when you do it, that it's a passion of yours, doesn't ever feel like a job. Mm -hmm. Vince McMahon at 76 years old is still producing all the TV shows for WWE. <laughs> he comes home to his, uh, to his mansion. 1.30 in the morning, his personal trainer meets him there, and they do sessions from 1.30 to 3.30 almost every single day, okay? Mm -hmm. This is the kind of chosen life that man's living. There's been talk at 76 years old, he's going to come and wrestle in WrestleMania. He's going to do a one-more-time shot. That's number one. Number two, our good friend Stone Cold Steve Austin, right? Austin 316. Yeah. He's been retired for over a decade. He's got a competing podcast with us called uh, Broken Skull Sessions. Of course. You know, it's, it's all good. We wish Steve well, you know, there's plenty of audience for both of us. Yes. So he's doing his podcast. He's very happy with his life. Money's rolling in. He's out on the Peacock Network. All <laughs> is good. There's talk now that Stone Cold is going to come out of retirement and do a match in WrestleMania. Yeah. And my question to you is, as I know you're a sports fan. We talked about hockey before in mm -hmm. our episode, in episode number two, is, is it a good idea for people, athletes, professional wrestlers, coming out of retirement or nearing the end for that one more show, that one more cash grab. Is it good for sports? Is it good for the industries and uh, transcending all other sports? Or should they just go off to the sunset, go write their books, go be commentators and let the younger generation come through? What's your take on it? It's, it's funny you bring this up because I was talking about this with my little brother, not about wrestling, but hockey. But um, it's, it's always hockey with you. Well, yeah, I'm a hockey guy, but it's just... It's it's crazy to think about. It's the, our conversation came up because I saw a post on uh, Sportsnet or whatever it was, mm -hmm. when it was the day that Wayne Gretzky was was set to retire, and they said, you know, well, he had nine goals up until the point of that year, right? Yes. And he goes, you know, I have nine goals so far this year. He goes, that used to be a good weekend for me, all right? Now I only have nine in in the whole year. And um, how many games would that have been roughly at that point, would you figure? Oh, like over a full season? No, no. It was probably just about half a season. Right? Okay. Which is still about 40 games. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, he was he was slowing down, right? Okay. Best hockey player of all time. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and so we were talking about it because, you know, with wrestling, it's a little bit different, right? Because you, you look at these things in team sports. Sports teams, entertainers. Exactly. Right? In sports entertainers. But you think about the room value, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you bring in somebody who's a veteran. They've, you know, they're seasoned, but... They've been everywhere from the bottom to the top of the mountain, right? Especially like Stone Cold, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he's on my Rushmore. Um, and you bring someone like that in, 
and it just changes the whole dynamic of the whole show, right? Yeah. And so with wrestling, you have that effect, right? It's the same thing, you know, with with Hulk Hogan, right? Um, and all the maniacs out there who wanted to see Hogan. Oh yeah. yeah, exactly. Back in back in the ring, the guy should not have been wrestling, and no. anybody knows that, no. right? Um, his health was a scare on a good day, but he's back in the ring, and everybody went nuts. And so, you know. The young guys deserve their shots. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. Bring the big guys and the older guys in takes away some of that attention, but it could also be, it could be the inspiration that they need, the motivation. It could be the conversation. It could be the moment where they go out there and they have that big match, right? Yep. If you look early on in the rocks career, right? Who was he wrestling all the time? All the big names, Triple H. All of them. Yes. Because Cena. The, exactly. Yeah. Because that's how, that's how, you know, he was able to transition into being the most electrifying wrestler. In sports entertainment, entertainment today. Yeah, exactly. Um, because he had that opportunity. And so that's why I'm not against it. Um, do I think Stone Cold should be wrestling? I'm not his doctor. I couldn't tell him that. Mm -hmm. um, is he absolutely entertaining to watch? You know, I'm going to be watching. Yeah. But... It, it, it's funny because, you know, I love wrestling. I'm not going to deny that. And uh, sports entertainment, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I think back, for example, a big name was Goldberg. Oh, boy. I Goldberg. Goldberg. Yes. You're Lo next. He, he's amazing. Yeah. And we loved him back in the day when, you know, the fire would come out and this music would sound. He's at the dressing room and all the police officers are waiting outside <laughs> to escort him because people are going to be mad rushing off for him, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just that whole scene and he'd come in. And it'd be a 30-second match, two two moves. He was a two-move guy, that's yes. it. And he'd be finished. He had the undefeated streak. It was amazing. That's the image we all have of Goldberg. Yes. What I have the image of Goldberg today is the guy who comes out of retirement for a sack of money. They send him over to Saudi Arabia. He yeah. fights The Fiend. Yeah. The Fiend is the hottest wrestler going, the best gimmick possible. And he's the, he's the world heavyweight champion, you know, in wrestling. And what happens? Goldberg comes and kiboshes him in two minutes, is the new champion. Fiend's gimmick now starts the downhill spiral. They've, they've ruined their best gimmick. He was a top producer for merchandising. And I'm like, why? Why did you have to do this? This was not needed at all. Yeah. Did we really need Goldberg as a champion now? Like, we had a good thing going. When I had the view of people in their later years, the way it was supposed to be was to put other people over. Their mm -hmm. job, they're the name, like Cena's done it. Cena put The Fiend over in WrestleMania. Yep. You know, where, where Undertaker. Undertaker's done it, sure. And their job is they're in their later years, they make it, the match look good enough. Mm -hmm. The younger wrestler is really carrying the match. Mm -hmm. So to help the, the veteran, you know, because they can't do the same moves that they used to. Oh, of course. And at the end of it, the veteran loses cleanly makes the younger wrestler look better and puts them over and helps them become a star rather than them coming and kiboshing yes. careers. And where I've seen in wrestling too often now is it's going that route where, okay, the ratings suck because we can't develop anybody, so let's bring them out of retirement. Let's make them a champ again. And then the image I have of this greatness is gone. All I see now is this joke on in the ring. I'm saying, why did we have to do this? Well, see, that's a different question, right? Then, then the question becomes, are the new gimmicks just not cutting it? Right, like you look at all of the old gimmicks, like you know, at least in my in my era, Randy Orton was my guy. Like when he, every era, well, he's he, still going. I know he's still going, but RK Bro just won the championship yeah, again. Exactly. But when I started watching wrestling, it was it was Randy Orton. His 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 entrance theme was my ringtone. Um, but I used to watch all the vintage collections um, with with uh, what was his name, Mean Gene Okerlund, right? Yes. And um, 
And you used to watch Stone Cold, The Rock, uh, even earlier than that, Hogan, uh, Andre the Giant, the Ultimate Warrior. Um, and, and these guys, they embodied what I thought wrestling was, right? Where it's not just some guy on a mic the whole time. It's high flying off the ropes, you know, throwing some guy into a cage, getting hit by a sledgehammer, even though you know you're, they're really not getting hit by a sledgehammer, right? They're not. But, uh, yeah, exactly. Don't ruin this for me, Zach. <laughs> but... But it's it's the idea and it's it's just the flow of events and now i watch wrestling and i'm not going to say it's bad because it's definitely not bad. it is bad it is horrible i'm not gonna lie to you it's really bad it's, not, it's unwatchable almost there's still entertainment My value opinion. but it's not what it used to be no right um so that's the question you know are they just trying to are they trying to save the wrestling industry by bringing in these old names because you're t i'm telling you right now you bring in stone cold you bring in goldberg you bring in the rock right even triple h still running around i'm watching I love those guys, even in their old, older ages where, you know, maybe they should have flown off to the sunset, mm -hmm. but I'm still watching. So from a business standpoint for you, that makes sense. It's good yes. for business at the end of the day. Like wrestling, let's say WWE, you know, many of the uh, fans, quote unquote, quote unquote fans, will tell you it's the worst product that's been there for many, many years, Yes. but they're making more money than ever. So yeah. who cares? That, what, we don't care about the quality of the product as long as the money's flowing. Okay, but you know, that's a problem too, because look what's going on. Um, what's it called Nitro with um, uh, with Sting? What's what's his wrestling? Oh, in AEW. Yeah, yes. yeah. So yes. so listen, they they made a mistake. They opened a barrier for entry, mm -hmm. which is now Sting, right? Yeah. And he's sixty something, and he's still and he's still going, right? Yeah, and still look, wearing the leotard, and he's going out there. And look at the wrestlers they're bringing over. Yeah, right. And so now there's just that shadow of doubt yeah. in the back of their mind, going, "Is WWE?" always going to be better than them right mm -hmm. um and as they slowly transition and they bring in more wrestlers and more wrestlers yes you never know now there's two wrestling companies it's not monday night raw and you know friday night smackdown it's monday night raw friday night smackdown Wednesday dynamite night. and all yeah, those others exactly yeah. and, and there's other and other organizations uh aw just purchased uh, ring of honor which yes, is another exactly. so it's it competition is good and competition means there's more companies, which means more jobs available, and hopefully being able to have those younger wrestlers have an opportunity. There's so many wrestlers that left WWE that never got their shot because they're competing against so many different wrestlers. Yes. They go to a different organization, and they strive now because they begin that opportunity. And to me, sports is no, any other sport can mirror that. So baseball, for example, they just now introduced, so they finished off their lockout, and then they're going to be having now the season. The universal DH is a real thing, so pitchers aren't going to hit anymore. Good. But it also means those, but those in, in baseball, those hitters that can't play the field anymore, they can go and hit and they're very good at it still. I'm good with that because mm -hmm. they're still bringing a benefit to the team. It, it kills me when they don't have a good DH, a designated hitter, and they're just resting guys and they're bringing guys with like 200 averages and they're just throwing a guy into the DH spot. Like you're giving away at bats. Your DH is a designated hitter. They should be an amazing hitter. They should be hitting number three, number four. This should be your power bomb person. So in baseball, I can see that. In hockey, we'll, we'll sum this up on hockey, your, your Leafs, you know, they're my Leafs too because I live in the city of Toronto, <laughs> but they're killing me right now. We need a goaltender real fast, but we won't get into that. Mm -hmm. But I see those, it's, it's been a trend now for the last decade. You know, those 39-year-old, 40-year-old plus guys, they got the name cachet. The younger guys mm -hmm. are excited to be playing with them, but they've lost not just a step, they've lost 10 steps. Yes. And they can be a liability. So they're really good for the room. But at the end of the day, you know, for example, the Leafs, are they, without naming names, are they good bringing in these veterans where they could bring in younger, faster players in your estimation? So, so great question. Thank great you. question. 
Um, do what I can. And this is what I talk about because Jason Spetz is one of my favorite players. The guy is just all class. Mm -hmm. He does everything right. He still works. He's a machine. He's in there more than anybody. Anybody will tell you that, right? Jason Spetz, he, he works harder than anyone. Um, and he hasn't played the last couple of games, right? Uh, whenever this airs, you know, it's just before the, uh, the outdoor game. Uh, and Jason Spetz is getting in. But then there's other players on the Leafs who are older. Um, you know, Wayne Simmons, for example, mm -hmm. is he cutting it? He plays a vital role, right? An intimidation factor. He's a room guy. Everybody knows that. He's one of the nicest people anyone will ever say, right? Um, but is it taking away an opportunity? Someone like from Robertson who just came in. Um, and that's been the problem for the Leafs for a long time is they clog up their, they clog up their, um, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, but they, they clog yes. up that process in having younger kids come up to the older and play in the, in the NHL. And, you know, people like, Bracco, you know, who was supposed mm -hmm. to be an NHL all-star. Mm -hmm. He's gone, right? Um, so it, it's, it's a good question. And then the answer is simple. You know, you have to be in the room to know. I'm thinking now of the metaphor now as far as how, for example, the Maple Leafs do it in hockey versus wrestling in WWE. I've noticed a trend, and you mentioned that it's a different question, but because you're not able to produce a system, you can't draft them, you can't train yes. them, and you can't bring them up, and year after year, you have these drafts, no different wrestling that they go to uh, independent circuits and look for the next best thing. You know, if in your sport or your teams can't develop those younger players, the easy way is to grab the Band-Aid and grab the 39-year-old and say, you know, or in wrestling, the 45-year-old and say, you know what? Maybe we got one more season out of them. Exactly. And, but you can only... It's, it's I don't, a patch job. I don't know if championships are built on a box of Band-Aids, you know? No, no. They're not. Anybody will tell you that. If you look at any of the major, the major, you know, Stanley Cup winning teams, if you look at any of the major productions for anything, whether it's wrestling, whether it's baseball, football, anything, right? Yeah. There's always some type of veteran interaction within the lineup, but it's not built on veterans, right? It's not built on a bunch of band-aids or patch jobs or whatever you want to call it, right? Um, there has to be the element of the young guy, um, the you know, the the group that's been together for a long time that's great, that's created this cohesive, you know, trust within one another, right? Um, so there's, I think there's room for everybody. Um, but the problem is, and when it comes down to wrestling is there's only so many people at the ring at once. Yep. Right. And there's only so many matches that can go on. Exactly. Yeah. And somebody will win and somebody will lose. And there are, like you said, there's been a lot of characters, gimmicks, people, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. them, mm -hmm. who have lost careers to this. And, and it's funny, you can have the most talent in the world. And if in your respective sport or in wrestling, for example, you're not put into the right fit of gimmick or the right fit of yeah. role and you're trying to do something beyond what you are, you'll never succeed. Mm -hmm. And it's having that vision, it's having the management, it's having the coaches mm -hmm. that can train them and find the positioning for them. And it's amazing how a person with this one environment goes to another environment and they thrive because they're playing into their strengths rather than their weaknesses. And to me, that's no different than the business world out there. Mm -hmm. When you're hiring an employee and you're bringing them along, do you have the vision for them? Are you putting them in the right role to succeed? Are you talking to them? Are you making like a Corman's, for example, at our law firm, we sit with each, each of our employees and our staff members and we make an action plan. Like we fill out a questionnaire with them and figure out what you're doing, what would you like to do? And in law, we're doing that. And if we're doing that as far as helping shape careers in law, in my mind, wrestling, in sports, every organization should be treating their, their staff the same way. Well, of course, and you should be treating your staff the same way, but it's also about what your staff is doing for everyone else, yeah. right? Like, you know, you take in, for instance, my business and, and my company, I, I look to partner with other advisors as well in certain cases. And, and each customer per se or client wants something different. They need something different, 
right? And that means that you need to put somebody in front of them that offers what they want. And everybody's different, right? But when there's so many different aspects to everything, it, no matter where you go, whether it's wrestling and, you know, your ability to be on the mic, your ability to have crazy moves, the size, you know, the, the look of it, right? Yes. Um, the name behind it, being being able to be electrifying, right? Um, it's no different than in our jobs, right? As, as professionals working with people, you know, as, as our clients, right? They want trust. They need trust, right? They want value. They want to make sure that you know what you're talking about and you're not just a mouthpiece right mm -hmm. they want to make sure that you're you're all of these things right you have to you have to be trusting you have to be knowledgeable you have to be a good communicator you have to you have to have all of these things right um a good teacher especially a lot of the time too and so you have to find somebody who can maneuver all of these different areas and have skills in all these areas and on this at the same time be what the client is looking for right not what they need but what they're looking for as well right so you have to make sure that you you have all of these facets under you know under your your uh, your uh, umbrella before you can do anything and that's where i wish in sports and wrestling they would view it the same way they would see the wrestlers they would see the athletes as partners not this top down approach where you have the ceo president coach players and this top down and they're just like paid help they should be on equal partnership looking when you're talking with them at that level. If the player would feel invested in their organization, in their sport, and that they're respected, their opinions matter, and they'd input as far as how their company is run, how their sports team is run, I think they would see more loyalty. I think they'd see better growth. Yes. They'd have better use because they're the ones actually on the field. They have the best opinions. Why not bring them on board that way? I, I think if I was running a, a wrestling organization or a sports team, I would want to see more of an equal footing as far as how communication is made. And I think that's why AEW is thriving, or at least trying to, because they're trying to make more of that approach as far as in, uh, valuing input. And I wish we would see that more in, in all the sports. Well, it's, it's a leadership structure and it's not just sports, right? You know, my, my grandfather, I talked to him all the time. He, he was in the industry. Most of the people in my family were in the financial services industry. Mm -hmm. And my grandfather, he used to live in Montreal and in Ottawa. And eventually uh, he, he was a director. So he ran um, insurance company centers, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, he was very, very good at what he did. Yeah. And, and so they came, they came up to him one day and I think they were in Ottawa. And they said, listen, um, our Toronto office went from being the number one office in the country to barely putting anything through. Like our, the business is failing there, right? And so he went there and they said, you know, we need you to do it. His name is Dan. We need you to do it, Dan. Go there. Um, you know, we'll give you all the resources that you need. And please find a way to turn this thing around because it doesn't go from first to last just like that. Mm -hmm. And he always tells me, he goes, Zachary, I went there and the first thing that I learned is that the hierarchical structure was not working. He goes, that's not how it works as a, as a boss per se, right? A person in an authoritarian position, mm -hmm. your job. Yes. You have to make calls at the end of the day, right? That's, you, you don't have a choice in that, right? Because it is, you know, it is your business, right? But 99% of the time, your job is to support the people who are out there working for you, who are on the front lines, like the wrestlers for your, for your, uh, your case or your lawyers, your associates, whoever it is. Same for me, for my advisors. You have to be out there to support them. And so that's what he said. He said, Zachary, I brought it from this, you know, crazy looking triangle to this level playing field where if you need me, I'm there, I'm there to support you. But it's not about being on top and saying, you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. And you know, it's my decision is it's about what can we do for you being the people out there, the entertainers, right? So, well, let's hope that, uh, over time in wrestling and sports, you know, they will value growth, communication, you know, uh, growing, growing the young and bringing them on board while still mm -hmm. finding a good blend with the veterans, I guess. Of course. And, and there's, there's a formula to it and I hope they do figure that over time. But that being said, you know, I was thinking about in the segue into our next topic, 
you know, you're talking about uh, your grandfather there and you're talking about uh, wrestlers and how they have to go on the road to get to, to through the different companies, to be able to go as fans, to go watch in sports arenas. Generally, yeah. we're driving, right? Yes. And to be able to get there, we have to go into a car. <laughs> and the way things are going right now in the world, um, the cost of filling up our cars to go yeah. to the sports game is more expensive than the ticket itself. <laughs> so, Zach, my question to you as the money man is as follows. Is the dream dead as far as sports cars go, as far as having the big trucks, uh, those gas guzzlers? Is this the final straw? Is electrical cars, are we going to, for the people that have held off, I know people have embraced the technology, people said it's still in its infancy, there's not enough charging stations, etc. Mm -hmm. But is there no choice now? Is it, is it come to the point now, do you feel in society that everybody's going to go electrical car? Well, if it's not now, it's coming soon. Right. And, and the one problem is exactly what you just said. There's not enough charging stations. Right. Um, and for a lot of people, you know, a, to remember to plug your car in every night, I can guarantee you not everybody's going to do it. Right. right. Um, I'm on the electric car bandwagon. Oh, you are. I am. My next car will be electric. Okay. Um, there are so many benefits to it. You know, if you, if you put aside just the money better for the environment, right. Right. Um, better for our natural resources, right. Electric cars, they're made out of copper you know at least the, the battery is for the majority material right um and and so there's just there's so much better opportunity with it not to mention you own electric vehicles right now you get so many tax subsidies there's, really eh? oh yeah so many benefits people are writing off i have clients that buy teslas yes. and obviously i'm not an accountant don't hold me to it anybody really? um but i i'm working with their accountants i know that they have so many tax advantages um and and so you know i'm i'm looking in that direction definitely moving forward yes that being said yes with anything where you're a super fan of anything especially with sports cars mm -hmm. the dream will still be alive will it cost you more absolutely but if you are the type of person to have the you know 70s mustang sitting in your garage mm -hmm. just waiting to go on the street and rev that engine tell then, me more yeah exactly <laughs> and i speak in your language then then the dream will still be there they're not going to get rid of gas but and, and it'll be years and years and years before we make that full transition but that yes yeah because they're talking right now that uh they're going to bring back the tesla roadster that's going to happen yeah. you're going to have the tesla sports car at a cost of approximately 200,000 for the starting point. Good yes. luck for most people. 90% of the population at least is not buying that. That's not going to okay, happen. But you have to remember, and that's yeah. the thing, right? It's not 200,000 okay. because of the tax advantages that they have to it. First of all, it is, it's, it's an expensive vehicle. Don't yes. get me wrong. It's a luxury vehicle, right? Yes. Yes. Um, you know, not to name names of any cars, but I, I, I'm a Chevy guy, right? Okay. That's what I've driven. That's what I like. I like Chevys, right? Okay. So is it a Chevy? No. It is more of a luxury vehicle, mm -hmm. but you go out there and you lay out 200 grand and you have to lay out to buy a charging station in your house too, right? Um, you know, long-term, is it going to save you more money, especially with these gas prices? But when you have these tax advantages, it's not really 200 grand, right? It's 200 grand to start. And then right. what are you going to get back from the government? Ah, so there's tax advantages to it. I tell people again, it kind of come full circle on this thing, you know, because we start talking about cottages. Yeah. We talked about business plans and how you're going to run it. I think people should think of their car as an enterprise. And at the end of the day, you're not, it's not, for most of us, we're not Ubering or renting it out. There are services out there now where you can rent out your car when you're not using it, mm -hmm. but probably not doing that. So even if you're using it, what is the business plan? How much does it cost to acquire the car? How much does it cost to maintain the car? Because we're talking as well about uh, gas. Well, you, yeah. you have a Tesla, you're not changing your oil, right? No. And they're talking now that in the next, I think it's three years, they're going to have airless tires. 
<laughs> so now you'll never have to change your tire. That's a yeah. big thing. Besides safety, it's also the cost of it as well. Mm -hmm. So, but I know for myself, like I, I've been very resistant and it just wasn't my thing, you know, because I grew up on muscle cars and that's just where my brain is at, you know, and the thought of having an electrical car that's replicating the sound of it to me, it just, I shudder at it. You know, as a purist, I like, I can't accept that yet, but maybe I will one day. Mm -hmm. But if you actually go sit in a Tesla, any Tesla, literally, it's like an iPhone on wheels. Like, <laughs> holy crap. Like, it is literally like driving an iPhone with the giant iPad. Yeah. And really, it's not even about a car anymore. It's like just like an app. It's a giant app that's driving you. It's yeah. freaking cool. No, being in that cockpit is, is absolutely insane. The car drives itself. You don't even need to be in it. Elon Musk, anytime. He's welcome on The Chosen Life. And we can talk about anything he likes. Cause oh, of it, course. Because it is freaking cool, you know. And as far as being revolutionary and everything else is what he's doing, like... I, I see where he's headed, you know, and he wants to share the technology and he's talked about that. And as far as encouraging others, because at the end of the day, yeah. if we have that infrastructure that if I'm not saying electrical is right or wrong, but if people are on board with it and all the car companies are on it and the charging stations come up and it becomes easier and easier, you know, they're talking about economy units to in parking because if you live in a condo building and doesn't have charging stations, what are you going to do? Yeah. Being able to install charging stations, making it more green friendly. Yeah. So there could be a lot of options out there as far as people to go electric where I'm seeing the game changing. And they've rumored it for so many years, the Apple car. <laughs> you bring an Apple car, it's over. All the Apple fanboys and fangirls that are walking around with their iPhones and their MacBooks and, and iPads, they're going to be having the car equivalent. It's done as far as I'm concerned. That would be to me if it ever happens. Yeah, if it ever happens. That's a big question. Um, you know, consider yourself Elon Musk. Okay. okay? You are Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. Biggest electric car on the road right now, mm -hmm. Tesla. Yep. Right? Everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. um, Apple announces that they're going to create a brand new car, right? It's going to run on Siri. And you're going to have Apple Play like most cars do right now. Yep. But the car is going to be completely interactive. And I'm Elon Musk, who's currently the richest man in the world, right? Mm -hmm. I am buying that division of Apple. I am 100% buying it because I do not want that competition. And... If I get that, then I have a monopoly over all, all electric vehicles. But on the same token, it takes a lot to build a car and to get into the car marketplace, right? We've seen it with, with electric, not electric, with gas vehicles, um, you know, combustion engines for 50 years almost, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's a very, very competitive industry. Um, so it'll be new because, it'll be nice because it is new, right? The whole electric industry, it's, it's, it's in its infancy really still. Um, so being able to see who's going to come in and take over, you know, maybe even Tesla, that'll be, that'll be very interesting, but I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see what Apple does. You know, it's funny, you know, in business and you, you know, we hear a lot about successes, especially with celebrities and companies and all the right stuff they did. Like when Google go, went off and bought YouTube, you know, yeah. they're geniuses, that's it. But how many opportunities do they have that they don't talk about? You know, I always bring up Magic Johnson and Magic Johnson, the basketball player, yeah. you know, and he has all the Starbucks in LA. They actually came to him and he was the ambassador and they allowed him to become a franchisee and he owns Starbucks all over LA and he's laughing all the way to the bank. Shaquille O'Neal was the one that was approached before Magic Johnson and Sha Shaq is known to endorse everything. Shaq is bought into companies. Shaq is a bazillionaire. Shaq is doing really well. We don't cry for Shaq. No. But Shaq had the opportunity to take the Starbucks gig before Magic Johnson. And he said, you know what? I don't think people in LA are going to be drinking coffee, so I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. So uh, he, he said it a little differently, but I'm going to keep the clean version of it. Of course. But Shaq said at the end of the day, no, I think it's foolish. I don't want to be a part of this. So Starbucks said, fine. They went to Magic. Magic's like, yes, please. <laughs> and Magic is laughing all the way to the bank. Why am I bringing this up? 
because you know I, I had it in my head and you you brought up the reverse the idea of elon musk buying up the competition well apple had the opportunity to buy tesla at one point at their low point how much are they kicking themselves now imagine because like you're saying it is so hard to prepare and produce your own product from scratch imagine they could have taken the apple software and the infrastructure put that and it had tesla they, they would have been now unsolvable did they make a blunder by doing that in your estimation have you thought about that uh, hindsight's always 2020 all right um but another thing that you have to remember especially in these types of industries right mm -hmm. the majority of what's going on yes is up here right and the people who are behind these products right mm -hmm. um you know the, the nikolai teslas of the world right um who who are just able to develop all of this you know it to begin with right but and to engineer the products themselves so you have to think about you have to think about locking in the competition in, in a sense too and locking in your best employees before making these purchases and it's not an option for everybody right there's a lot of people out there and, and we've seen it with many different companies um you know look at snapchat uh, facebook um, Instagram, where you have the CEOs of these major companies who are now jumping ship and going to other s startups per se. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, look at Snapchat. Snapchat was a startup, right? Right. And now look at it, right? Um, and Twitter is the same thing, right? Like how smart was Facebook to go and, and acquire Instagram, you know, to go acquire well, exactly. WhatsApp? Exactly. They, yeah. were, they were very smart, but you have, to, you have to lock these people's minds up, right? Otherwise, they're just, you know, all it takes is one person to go somewhere else, start a new company, and now they're the next big deal. In my mind, it's it's... You can go and if you buy everything up, yeah, great. If you have unlimited money, but you don't have unlimited money. Yes. So you're seeing these successful companies doing successful things. Yes. You know, uh, Nike losing Kanye and mm -hmm. Kanye going to Adidas. Yeah. Adidas would have been screwed without Kanye pretty much. And Kanye saved them and brought them up with the Easy's. But Nike could have kept him. But they made that decision at the same time. But what if Kanye would have flopped? What if, he, they, if Adidas would have put all that money into him? And let's say it didn't take the way it did, you know, they could have been bankrupt. So people only see the good part of it. Mm -hmm. But you have to make the decision as a business person. Yeah, like you said hindsight's twenty twenty. So for every, you know, uh, great one great or two great decisions we make, we can make five blunders. And not every company can afford those blunders. So they avoid those blunders. And at that same token, they may miss the hit. They may miss the success. Of course. And they are also anticipating cancel culture too, right? Like yeah. you have to look into that and, and say, mm -hmm. you know, all of these executives who are like, okay, we're putting all of our eggs in one basket and that person is Kanye West, right? Um, or, and not to say that I have anything against Kanye, right? I don't even know the guy. Um, but all it takes is for him to say one thing wrong and then You're everything done. goes. Down. He said a hundred things at least and he's still going, but it's because it's Kanye. Only he can get away with well, it. Well, exactly. How many people but, can do that? Right. Mo most can. And one thing is said and you're done, Yeah. you know, and people kind of forget about that. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing, you know, at the end of the day, how you set yourself up as a business and, you know, you try to make a game plan, you try to bring people on, but again, stuff may not hit. Mm -hmm. That's just the reality of it. And, you know, people come to me all the time and they tell me, oh my God, if I would have gone and bought Tesla stock five years ago, well, you did it because they could have easily gone belly up and yeah. other elect a lot of electrical startups came and went. Fisker was a big one. Yes. Fisker was a beautiful car, well ahead of its time. Fisker could have easily been Tesla, but things did not hit for them. And then they got bought out and then they had to restart again. Tesla could have easily done that. So yeah. that's where people are saying like, you know what? Time, if, yeah, yeah. You have to time things and that's exactly right. And that's how it is in the business world. And 
business world, stocks, real estate. It's all about timing at the end of the day, which brings us to our fourth topic of the day. And it relates very much to Elon Musk, actually. I realize it, as you're saying. It's funny how it all kind of comes yeah, together, know, right? Zach. So Elon Musk, if we have him here right now, he's telling us, look, at the end of the day, it's all hard work. It's all having visionary. I don't care about degrees. I flunked out. Mm -hmm. I don't need a university degree. I don't need a college diploma. Yeah. That means nothing right now. It really is at the end of the day about your hard work and getting into the right industry. But Zach, at the end of the day, in this real world, there's very few people that can hit like Elon Musk. Yeah, no, if you're Elon, if you're Elon Musk, you know, I'd love to speak with you. Um, I, I'm sure he's listening right now and he is clamoring. So by all means, he can call up our publicity uh, department and we can buy, arrange of, it. Of course. But that being said, let's say he's shy. He's not ready right now. He has other things on the go. All good. But we could talk amongst ourselves. In the real world now, reality, why do we need a university degree and a college diploma? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a good question. It's, it's something that I see. You know, I was a hockey coach for... 10, 11 years almost, right? Mm -hmm. I started off just pushing pucks for uh, my father who was coaching many teams, right? And then eventually I made my way up. We were assistant coach, head coach. It was like a family business almost. Um, and in that, I got to have a lot of good relationships with the kids at the time, right? The kids we were coaching. And they would ask me, you know, they would say, you know, Zachary, you know, at the time maybe I was in school. What are you doing in school? What do you like, right? Um, you know, is it realistic for me to just not go to school? Is it realistic for me to you know, become a plumber, right? Like are our trades, what they used to be, are they still valuable? Is there still an opportunity there? And so while I was coaching all these kids, it was like, it was like, you know, growing up again twice for me, right? Really? Because you have to see what's available to you. You know, I, I have my uncle, um, I consider him successful. He's a business owner. He works hard. He takes a lot of pride in his business. Uh, and he never did a post-secondary education. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, he's doing, he's doing well for himself. He's got no problems, right? Mm -hmm. uh, well, not to say he doesn't have problems, but, it, it, you know, his education wasn't a problem for him. Wasn't right? an hindrance. Okay. And he's the only one. Yeah. Right? Everybody else I know, they went to school for this. They went to school for that. You know, um, my girlfriend, she went to Western and got a marketing degree there, okay. which, as far as I'm concerned, is a very good school. Yes. Right, Western uh, very highly considered, and she was applying for jobs. Listen, she didn't do poorly. She had good grades, and she had her, her resume was was it was platinum. It wasn't even gold. It was platinum, mm -hmm. and she went out into the job market, and it was hard. It was very hard because they want an entry level job, right? And you got to have five years experience, and on top of that, you need to have an MBA. If you're not don't have an MBA, you have to be studying for your master's. You have to be you know willing to get an MBA. Uh, by the way, we're not going to pay for your MBA. Um, so you have to you have to have an education. If you don't have a degree, it's becoming a problem, especially in my industry, right? Like I'm starting to become a certified financial planner, a CFP, right? And that's that's the cream of the crop designation. It's like the CPA for accountants. That's what it is for us. But before you got the designation, even in starting off, what degree did you get? I got a finance and a business economics degree. So I played. So for your honor university degree. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. And I played right into my strengths. I could mm -hmm. not do the market. I have a marketing team. I couldn't do it for my life if I wanted to, right? Yep. And that's why people see me all over the place everywhere because my team is great. Um, but I couldn't do it for my life. I didn't want to, right? That's great. Um, management. As a hockey coach, you manage enough anyways. I, I was learning how to do it um, from a young age, right? Mm -hmm. um, my thing was numbers. I'm good at numbers. So I said, what are the two things in, in any business degree that have numbers primarily? Finance and economics. Did it in high school. Uh, finished high school with 99s and 100s in both of them. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's, let's just roll, roll baby, yeah. right? Um, I took my, my knowledge to York, and I finished off my class there too. 
and and I'm like, you know, I have a I have a niche for this one thing, these numbers, right? And so eventually I rolled into it, and I, I my uncle, like I said, I have family members in the industry, and so they took me they took me to meetings, um, not client facing, but in a sense where they were showing me how to do the job, and I fell in love with it. Um, and then they said to me, okay, Zachary, I'm happy you're enjoying this. You need two licenses to start. To start. To start, right? So, you need, so university degree, honors, four-year, not even sufficient now. No, no, no. You need to get, I had to get licenses. I have to okay. get an insurance license. Why? Um, I'm talking about a specialist product yes. for people. And anybody who's ever had to use insurance will know the importance of insurance, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody who hasn't had to use it, I'm happy for you. Um, they won't see the real value in it. And when you're doing something like that, we're talking about people's whole lives, right? Mm -hmm. Their whole lives, they're, they're completely financially dependent on these things. Um, so yeah, you need a license for that. And then on the flip side, it's the investment sides, right? Oh, now we're investing people's whole life savings. Well, yeah, you need a license to do that too. And on top of that, you need, you know, professional insurance, liability insurance too, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, these insurance companies aren't going to insure you unless you have these things also, right? Right. And that's just to start. Now I'm on the ground floor. So, but if you didn't get, if you didn't get your university degree, can you just go directly to get those licenses? <laughs> Used to be. Yeah. So they're, they've changed, they're changing the industry now because uh -huh. you need the degrees to do it, right? Especially if you want to become a CFP, I want to become a CFP, right? Yes. Like I said, cream of the crop, that's where I want to be at. Um, if you don't have a degree, yes. uh, a bachelor's or any type of BA degree like that, um, no CFP for you. Right. So even the degree is not necessarily the be all end all, but it's going to be the foundation for the next steps. And you can even get to those steps from there. Absolutely. When I'm bringing on new, new lawyers on board. And I'm, I'm, I'm interviewing at Corman's and I'm thinking about whether they will work out or not. I get asked the question all the time, what do you need to do to be a successful lawyer? Hmm. And I tell them it's very simple. You need experience. Mm -hmm. You need knowledge. You got to get results and people have to like you. Mm -hmm. So when I'm interviewing somebody, I'm trying to determine, first of all, the most important criteria, believe it or not, is are people going to like you? Are you going to work well with your staff? Are clients going to like you? Are they going to feel comfortable with you? Are they going to respect you? If you don't have that interaction in this day and age from a client service point of view, no matter how much experience and knowledge you have and you get results and people don't want to work with you, it's done. Mm -hmm. So let's say we get that part, person's good, feel comfortable with them. Can they show they've gotten results? Well, if they're new into the industry in law, for example, and they've only done a year or two, not going to really know that. So hopefully that will come with time. You only know that by working with them. Mm -hmm. And do they have knowledge? And do they, and, and, and at the end of the day, is that going to happen or not? And the thing is, if you don't have the degrees at the end of the day and you don't have that education, so we look at, for example, what are the undergraduate degrees coming from? Mm -hmm. Which law schools did they go to? People do consider that because let's say, for example, it's all young lawyers and this person went to a top school and I know they got their undergraduate degree. I'm going to see what they got it in and then where they went to law school versus somebody that went from high school directly off to another country and went for law directly, let's say England, Australia, not that they're not good schools, but do I have the confidence, first of all, what the, they lost that undergrad part of it? And number two, do they, they're very young and will they be able to have that experience and knowledge? And that's going to be very lacking generally when you don't have that foundational point. Mm -hmm. So all else being equal, all of a sudden, this person has more schooling. And from there, I have the, the feeling that they're going to have more knowledge then I'm going to have more confidence in them. So it's interesting because I, I tell this to people all the time. That's, and that's just law. Mm -hmm. You're going to go into other arenas when you to be able to get that interview. Even they don't know you yet. So they don't know if they even like you. They don't know if people are going to be personable with you. 
to even get your foot in the door, there's so many applicants for the same job. The people with the better schools, with the higher education, are probably going to get their foot in the door sooner. Would you agree? Yeah, it's it's one of those, and it's not just about getting your foot in the door sooner. It's about where you cap out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, take for instance, uh, kid I was coaching, um, lovely kid, um, didn't love the books, didn't love the studying, right? He wanted to be hands on. Um, and trust me, I have nothing against going into a trade. I have a lot of clients who have tradesmen yep. making more than enough money and satisfied with no, running their own business. No, and if they're good at it, by all means, exactly, nothing wrong exactly. with that whatsoever. Um, yeah. But at some point, you have to get some type of you know extra education. Uh, and so, for instance, he you know he graduated high school and he said, I want to go into construction. So he went into construction. He got a good job um, in the plumbing area, right? And he had a supervisor come up to me and said, listen, kid, you're fantastic, right? You're one of the best we have at your job, but this is it for you. You'll never go higher than this because in order to move up in this world, you need to have additional education. It doesn't have to be a four-year BA, right? It doesn't even have to be a three-year BA. Mm-hmm. It could be a one-year apprenticeship in school, right? And, and for, for him, he went specifically to a school that specialized in uh, educating plumbers. He got his degree. And mm-hmm. the kid is, he's now how old is he? He's 21 years old and he's a manager Very cool. on a construction site. Like how fantastic is that? Right. But uh, there's very few jobs at the end of the day. So if you get your foot in the door, certainly and you get that work experience, that life experience, street smarts, you may not need the book smarts at the end of the day, but of course, very few of us have those connections and be able to just get into the door. When you're going against all those other applicants, you know, it may, it may not happen. It may not happen for you. I'm thinking about all those young entrepreneurs out there, like those Elon Musks, mm-hmm. majority of future Elon Musk that have visionaries and everything else, they won't get started because, oh boy, how does accounting work? How does marketing work? How does HR work? How do I incorporate a company? You know, they start thinking about all these things. How am I doing tax planning? How do I do sales? Who am I going to hire? I got to range financing is one of the biggest ones. Yeah. When, when I decided that I was going to be going to law school, I, I was born to be a lawyer. That I always knew. I was groomed from the moment, you know, I had a pacifier in my mouth. They told me you're going to be a lawyer because you're a second generation. It's over. So I knew that I, my, my, my goal was already set for me long ago, but I didn't go directly into law school. I made the decision to, and I got into Schulich, which I was very proud of, mm-hmm. one of the top business schools in Canada and probably the world. And I, from my mind, even though... I'm not going into business per se, I am. Because number one, if I'm gonna have business clients in the future as a lawyer, I need to be able to speak their talk. And believe it or not, you, go, you wanna be an entrepreneur, you wanna be anybody in, in the business sense, even if you wanna go and be a plumber, for example, to be able to network with people, to grow your business, to have good suppliers, good partnerships, you have to understand how business works. And if somebody's able to do that, fantastic. I'm saying that gives them an advantage. If Elon Musk would have had a business degree, probably would have not hurt him at all. I'm not saying how much it would help him considering where he went, but he also had luck and everything else and good planning, smart guy. But Elon Musk is one in a billion, you know? No, it's, he's more than that, <laughs> one in seven billion. Yeah, um, so, it, so it's, it's, it's not happening for most. And so that, that entrepreneur, yeah. and, and for that end of it, in running a law firm, for example, I have a bitter sense for it because I've studied it and seeing real life case examples and going through it. So when I look back in my career and I'm looking at, I have a lot of young lawyers that reach out to me and they're telling me, so what should I do for undergrad to be a lawyer? I tell them, think of what, I always say, start at the end result and work your way backwards. What do you envision yourself doing? And what do you think will teach you the business life skills at the end of the day that will get you there? Because look, I always tell people, look, I, I think the best business is HVAC repair. 
Oh, it's huge. Especially living in Canada and mm-hmm. living in Toronto, Ontario. You know, we have cold winters, warm summers. Mm-hmm. That means breaking air conditioners, breaking heaters all day long. Oh, yeah. You go to college, you get a diploma, and you understand how HVAC repair works. You're, you have a license to print money in my mind if you do it right. And then from there, open up your HVAC company. Yeah. And then hire people and grow your... But again, that involves business. You need accounting, you need finance, economics. So that's where even you go into HVAC, if you have an understanding of that, like it's, it's amazing at the end of the day from I see businesses that fail, Zach. And you, you have clients. I, I say all the time, if you're a cook, you could be a great cook. That doesn't mean you're a great restaurant owner. Yes. If you're a hairdresser, you could be very good at cutting hair. Doesn't mean you're a good business owner at the yes. end of the day. And where I see the clients that fail the most are the ones that take their profession saying, I'm good at it. So it just means I should own this business, but they don't understand about owning versus renting the real estate. They don't understand about hiring and managing people, yes. sales, you know, uh, procedure manuals, uh, client service. It, it's incredible. So I, I think at the end of the day, in anything, in, in, yeah. you know, it revolves around business. If you intend to run it, you better understand it. Otherwise, by all means, stay in the profession. I want to preface everything I'm about to say to start with. Yes. There is absolutely nothing wrong with being an employee. Not at all. Nothing. It is the lifestyle that the majority of people take. Absolutely. And for most, that's what's best for them, right? That being said, for the right type of person and a driven, a driven, motivated person, a person who wants to, you know, create things in life, who wants that Muskoka chair on the dock, right? Yes. Yes. Nice segue, Um, by the way. Yeah. Thank you. Um, The person who wants that. I don't want to say you have to be a business owner, but you have to be a business owner, right? Yeah. That's how you're able to produce and control your own wealth. And I have seen in my short tenure on enough people who are great at what they do, great at finance, great at cutting hair, yes. great at fixing cars, right? But they fail because they're not meant for running businesses. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a whole different beast, right? There, you know, you go out there, there are people whose job solely is to run the business. They don't have an absolute clue what product or service you provide. Their job is to run the business because it's a whole different beast. And so having that extra education, knowing, you know, management, marketing, um, financing, right? Human resource, a massive one these days, mm-hmm. especially, right? Um, it, it takes you, it takes you into that next tier, right? So uh, you need it. And I think at the end of the day, from I'm thinking now, the most successful organizations and the most successful uh, groups going, and we're going to sum up this topic in this uh, conversation today. It's come up time and time again on the chosen life. It comes down to teams. Yes. And you surround yourself with the right people. Yes. Elon Musk is smart enough to go and hire the people with the strengths that he doesn't have, mm-hmm. to look after the roles that he doesn't want to do. He's not the one doing this by himself. Mm-hmm. He has a whole team apart, part of it. When I look at Corman's, for example, it's myself and David Corman. Mm-hmm. There's no David Corman. There's no me, there's mm-hmm. no Chosen Life podcast, there's nothing, you mm-hmm. know? I'm smart enough to know that I partner with an intelligent person that knows his industry, he has his strengths, I have my strengths, and we complement each other beautifully. It's a rare marriage partnership, mm-hmm. but I'm very lucky to have him. When I think of those business owners, and I've talked to those people, and what kills me is when people are working at their jobs, when they have a profession, and they take their life savings, and they're saying, I wanna grow to the next level, I've, I've been doing this my whole life now, I wanna be able to do it, you need to often then maybe not go at it alone. Then you bring that person who has the strengths. So you have the person with the technical side, then the person with the business side, and they mesh together. A lot of successful restaurants I know, there's always two owners. There's the person that runs the kitchen side of things, 
that they understand as far as managing the cooks, the menus, etc., and making the restaurant function. Mm-hmm. And there's a person in the background that's running the business side of things. Mm-hmm. So find the people that partner up with that are that complement you. So you bring in different skill sets, and then you, in my mind, the more stronger the team is, the stronger you're going to grow. And from there, it goes from two people could grow up to five, ten, thirty to a thousand and plus. But your con- organizations are born and grown from need. And yes. as you continue to grow, you realize what your deficiencies are. You find the right people, slot them in, and mm-hmm. you grow them. And then you bring in the next person who's going to be molded into their job so they can be molded into the next job. So everybody is grown that way. That, to me, is a successful organization. I'm with you. And that's the name of the game. It is. And even in your individual life, you need the power team too, right? You need the lawyer, the mortgage broker, the accountant, the financial advisor. Um, you need to have all these people, right? If you run your life, or at least your finances, like it's a business, then you're propping yourself up for success. And I, one of my favorite stories is a, I, have a, I have a friend um, who used to own restaurants and he had trouble. He couldn't figure out what was going wrong. You know, knew the food well, great with people, absolutely amazing, great with people. Um, so we hired an outside consultant, right? He said, I need somebody because clearly I'm deficient with something, right? Hired a consultant, came in, and he just looked at his food costs. He looked at his staffing, you know, the details. And next thing you know, his, like he said, he was printing money. He was making money hand over fist because once you fix those little details and you have the right team to help you build there, you, you know, you're just propping yourself up for success. If you want to succeed at the end of the day, have your goal. Envision the chosen life is all about living the chosen life or wanting the chosen life. Do not focus on where you're starting from. Focus on your end game. What do you want your life to look like? Go to sleep at night, wake up in the morning, only envision that life that you want. Mm-hmm. Once you, Because a lot of people do not know what they want. They don't have that vision of their chosen life. Mm-hmm. They ain't going to get there. When you have that vision, finally, then you can make the steps. You mm-hmm. can make your business plan, bring the right people on board. Yeah. And before you know it, you're well on your way to having that life. No, of course. And that's what I do. That's what I do for a living, right? Uh, at least a lot of it, right? Where we have people, they have goals. They want this thing. These things have monetary values. Let's build. And how hard are you willing to work for them, right? You have the chosen life in mind. What are we going to do to get there, right? And so that's that's and it's what I love to do, right? We have these goals. Let's get there, right? So Zach, we're going to have your handles on the uh, on the um, description on the show. And again, we tell people you want to listen to Zach. He's going to be back again. He's going to be a repeat. He's here twice and he's going to keep coming back. We're going to have other new exciting guests. Definitely hit the subscribe button. Get the notification bell so you can be notified. Mondays, 12 p.m., Chosen Life comes on so you can be right on there. Mm -hmm. And again, comment. We'd love to hear feedback. Uh, Zach, people want to reach out to you, talk about money, talk about finance, insurance. Where do they reach you at? You can call me on my cell phone, which is 647-403-7016. I sound like a car ad. Um, Or just go on my website, rainfinance.ca. Everything you need to know is going to be there. I have resources. I have value for you to see there. So feel free to jump on, and then you can always link up for me through there. Rainfinance.ca. You want to make it rain? Talk to Zach. That's exactly it. I just realized that. That's awesome, buddy. Thank you very much for appearing, and it was a pleasure to converse with you as always. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be the first repeat guest. Uh, thank you, everybody who watched. Uh, you know, you guys, you're amazing. Um, keep commenting. It's like John said before. Keep commenting because we want to know what you guys think. Uh, you're what drives us. So uh, interact. Let us know what you think. And the more you do that, the more we're going to be able to tell you and talk to you about exactly what you want to hear. Zach, you and Buff Bagwell, buddy, the professional wrestler. <laughs> you guys are the drivers of the show right now, and the people can't get enough of you. 
We appreciate that. Because you're also buff. You're yeah. stuff, man. <laughs> and I know your girl can't get enough of you, man. Oh, good Okay, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, Zach. And we sign off. That's Keep right. living the chosen life. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Wait a minute. Are we still running? Well, I know you already hit the subscribe button, the like button to say how much you love this episode and the notification bell so you get notified of all our future episodes. But you still feel like you want more. Well, when you're ready to contact the chosen lawyers at Corman's LLP, we are here to help you. Whether you're looking to close a real estate transaction, a refinance, a corporate commercial matter like a lease, a shareholder agreement, an incorporation, you need a will or power of attorney prepared, a family law matter comes up, contact the chosen lawyers. We are here for you. So how do you get in touch with us? It's really simple. You go onto our website, go to cormans.ca, that's K-O-R-M-A-N-S.ca, fill out the contact form and a chosen lawyer we'll get in touch with you. So it's very easy. We look forward to seeing you very soon. And thank you very much for watching The Chosen Life. We'll see you back very shortly.